Grab a Bible, and you will need one today. There's some in the back if you don't have one, or you can open your phone and probably find multiple options. Um, but you can take one from the back table if you want. You can take ten. I don't care. Keep them. Give them out. Do what you want with them. Um, for me, the Word of God is the most important thing on the planet. So I will always have those available. If you take all of them, I will buy all of them again and put them right back out there. And that's the subject today that we're going to deal with. And I will say, this is my favorite thing to talk about, like, number one. If somebody invites me to come preach or talk in another church or do something somewhere else or do an event, and they say, you can talk about anything you want, it's always going to be this. Because for me, this is the biggest thing. Um, But it's also a divisive thing. So I was telling Molly on the way over here, I said, I feel like every time I get to talk about this particular topic, People don't show up, not intentionally, but I'm just saying it's funny. Like every time I come with this one, it's almost like there's a there's a, a bear. I mean, it's raining or it's a icy house or something that keeps people from coming. So the cool thing about discipleship, though, is I don't have to preach to the crowds. I just need to give it to you and then you can go share it with whoever you need to. So. Uh, the topic today, though, is the Bible. Um, what we're going to be doing for the next, we're going to do Ephesians, so you know where we're going this year. We're going to do that. Um, but for the first three weeks or so of every year, I like to kind of come back around and talk about, as a church, why we do what we do. Why do we believe what we believe as a church? And we're not going to cover every one of those little details. I will be happy to have those conversations with you if you want, um, but... Um, just some key things for us, the core values you might call them for us as a church is love, truth, and mission. Uh, and so those are the three things that we're going to kind of talk about for the next three weeks, and then we'll um, move towards Ephesians for a while. But today I want to talk about truth. And the question is, why focus on the Bible? Um Perhaps my favorite thing about living in Arizona now is no mosquitoes. (laughs) There's a lot of really good reasons to live here, a lot of fantastic reasons. But no mosquitoes is amazing. Uh, If you're from the south or you spend any time in the south, you can't sit outside after the sun sets. And you sure can't do it with lights on. Uh, But here, it's great. You could just go right outside, no lights. And there are mosquitoes here. People always say, well, we got mosquitoes, but it, uh, all I feel like, the ones that have bit me, it's like, bless your heart. You know, that's that's cute. Um, but if you're in the south and they bite you, it is unreal. They'll eat you up, and it, it's just so bad, and all you want to do is scratch. Uh, they're prehistoric. I mean, it's maddening. Um, yesterday we were weeding the garden at school, as I mentioned earlier, at the elementary school and pulling weeds and all that. And, uh, one of the team that was there asked if there was poison ivy. And I don't know that there is any here in the valley, but I know that it's a big deal. Again, in some places, definitely in the south. Uh, and if that gets on you, that's a whole nother kind of itching. It is absolutely maddening. Uh, the only thing that can make it worse is if it's in some spot on your body that you can't reach. And then you're just running into walls or something. Like, just please make it stop. Um, I've had a cast on before. If you've ever had a cast and the worst thing that can happen is something in there start to itch. A spot and you have no chance. You get in a coat hanger or something trying to get it down there. Scratching, though, is amazing in those situations. 
Like, I mean, if you start scratching, it's almost like drugs. Like, you're almost getting high for about a second. Uh, but it's also typically the worst thing you can possibly do. Um, makes the itch worse, usually. Prolongs the healing process. Spreads it. Pretty much any form of scratching usually is a, is a bad thing. Paul then today equates that to people wanting to hear what they want to hear instead of Scripture. And to how they become maddened by wanting to hear what they want to hear and not Scripture. So I always give you like a, like a light post, like a lamp uh, to keep your mind set on where we're going today in the Scripture. This is not Scripture. This is just Dave. It's just a statement. But... It to help you keep your mind focused is this, because God's word never changes. We make it the subject of our voice rather than what the ever-changing world wants to hear. Not scripture, but kind of a summary of what we're talking about today. Because God's word never changes, we make it the subject of our voice. And by voice, I mean whenever people are listening to you. It doesn't have to be preaching, whatever it is. Whenever you have someone's ear, they're listening to you for direction or information or any of that. If you have a voice at any one point in time, somebody's ear is tuned to you, then that's what I mean. We make the word of God the focus rather than the ever-changing world. So 2 Timothy chapter 4 is where we are. It is the 15th book in the New Testament. It's about 12 books from the end. Of the Bible, so it's a it's way in the back back here. Um, so find it, Second Timothy, chapter four. We're not doing all of Timothy; we're just choosing this because these three core values that we're going to look at over the next three weeks. But today, this one, this is an amazing passage. I love it. So in verse one, Paul tells Timothy, who Timothy is now a pastor of a church. In fact, he's a pastor of a church at Ephesus, which that's going to be. The book we do um, after, you know, a few weeks here. Anyway, he says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. You could circle that, square it, highlight it, put stars all around it, put hearts. I don't know, whatever you do, if you write in your Bible, mark those three words huge. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. How important is this? Look, look at how Paul starts this thing. How serious is Paul? I charge you. Like, that's strong language. He's not just saying, hey, man, do your best. That, that's the context of the Greek phrase here is a courtroom and calling a witness to testify before the judge. In a very formal way to give the complete truth. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and only the truth? It's a very formal environment that he's saying. That's what, that's what he's saying. There's a grave matter here. There's a very serious matter here. And I'm charging you, Timothy. And he says, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge all. That's the courtroom. You're not just in the courtroom. You're in that courtroom. That's the judge. That's the one who's sitting there. The one who not just judges you, Timothy, not just judges me, Paul, but judges all living and all the dead. All of them that have lived before. That's the courtroom. That's who he's talking about. I call you to be a witness in the presence of that judge. 
Witness about what? Testify about what's, what's he supposed to be testifying about? I charge you to not just preach. That's where everybody puts the period nowadays. Not just preach. Preach the word. Preach the word. Giving a defense there is in the context of the word. The word is only giving a defense if it's the word that you're preaching. So understand that for a minute. If you're not preaching the word, for instance, are people arguing with you and the case that you're making, or are they arguing with the Bible? If you get into a debate with somebody who wants to talk about spiritual matters, the best thing you can possibly do is get into this first. Because then this speaks and this teaches and this talks, and it's not Dave's opinion anymore. Now you got to argue with this. And you can. You can not believe it if you want. But at least it's this you're dealing with and not this busted-up ex-drug addict over here that's trying to tell you. You know what I'm saying? He says, I, I charge you, preach the word. He says, be ready in season and out of season. That means when it's popular and when it's not popular. That means when it's bearing fruit and when it's not bearing fruit. Like you keep doing it and nobody's listening. Still, do it. Be ready to. Be prepared to. Be equipped to. He says, uh, reprove. That's kind of a mild correction. Rebuke. That's a strong correction. And exhorting. That's an encouragement. You're doing the right thing. You're headed the right way. But notice the two caveats with those things. With complete, that means perfect. Perfect patience. It means you've got to allow room for all the stubbornness in the world. That's real hard to do. But Jesus did it. And of all the people that ever lived, he's the one that didn't need to the most. <laughs> I mean, he should have been listened to immediately for who he was. But he did. Think of how many times he put up with his disciples asking dumb questions again and again and again. Um, perfect patience. Last two words here are huge, though. And what? Teaching. Teaching. That doesn't mean that, like, Molly in her classroom teaching her kids a presentation. That's not what it means. It means this. It's pointless if you don't learn something. Me preaching the word is pointless if the people who hear it are not learning anything. It's, it, 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 he's saying, make sure they, that they, they learn something. I remember being in the Ukraine um, early on in my travels uh, overseas and stuff and working with an interpreter a couple of times. But this particular time, I had a fantastic, like this woman translates books, old books into Ukrainian and Russian and English. And so, I mean, she was good. Um, and so, as I would be talking, she would, man, she was just flowing me so good. But if there was any time, as I'm going through all of my, you know, notes and all the things I got to say, there was any time where I started to, where she started to lose me, she'd just pause me for a quick second. Mm, okay, got you. And then she'd keep on going. And it was so smooth. But I realized something in that. I'm so determined to say all this information, but if she doesn't translate it right, it doesn't matter that I went through all of my notes. 
If she didn't translate it right, it makes no difference if I went through every single note over here. And so I decided I would rather communicate something here than just get through what I have to teach. So I told her, I was like, slow, yeah, slow me down. Stop me. Like, let's make sure we get this understood. Why is Paul saying this preaching the word, being patient, making sure they, that, that they hear and they learn and they gain? Verse 3, because the time's coming when people won't endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. People are going to gather together whoever says what they want to hear. But in fact, in modern day language, because back in Paul's day, there weren't like churches on every corner. Uh, here, what, what, what would be more accurate is to say people are going to drift to whoever's saying who they want to hear or what they want said. If this church doesn't say it, I'll go try this one. If this church doesn't say it, I'll go try this one. Uh, maybe I'll go to four different churches and that'll just be my thing so that I don't have to lock in, but I can find whoever says what I want to hear this week. Maybe there's a church, there's a headline in the news. Maybe there's an election. Maybe there's some, whatever it is, man, I'm going to go find the person who's talking about that this week. That's what he's talking about. And they float around. We float around to try to get our ears satisfied, find the person we want to hear. Um, notice he says they'll do this because, look at it carefully, they will not endure sound. Not cannot, will not. This is a decision. Let's sit here and listen to this. Talk about something important. Talk about something important. I, I'm not going to sit here and listen to this. Didn't you watch the news this morning? Don't you know what's happening in this country? Talk about something more. I'm not going to sit here and listen to this. Endure means, and it says endure sound teaching. It didn't say they won't listen to sound. They won't endure sound teaching, which means if you are truly teaching the Bible, it's going to be a lot to bear. It's going to be heavy. It's going to, and that's not just me. That, that I mean, you, that's me too. Like the weight of what's in the word is heavy. What's, what do you feel like the word does the most? Conviction. It points out sin. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. Let's not talk about my sin. Let's talk about the sin in the United States government. Let's talk about that. Let's not talk about my sin. Let's talk about the sin of these gangs over here in the West Valley that are just shooting people. Let's not talk about my sin. Let's talk about what. No, no, no. Uh, The word of God confronts sin and it's heavy. And he's saying they're not going to sit there and hear that. Sound teaching, it means it's solid. It's not just pointing out that there's sin. It's solid. It's a fact. Like it, love it, hate it, don't care. It's solid. But they don't want that. They don't want that. They're not going to endure that. And Paul says the time's coming. How does he know the time's coming? Now, I've heard this preached frequently, that it's about the end times. Uh, the, the days are coming down the road, and, and, and then the next line is, and we're living in them today. You know, that that's the way it is. But that's not the case. Because why would Paul be guard, telling Timothy to prepare for this if it were millennia from the time of Timothy? He's not talking about way down. I mean, perhaps, yes, way down the road, but that's not what his focus is. He's challenging 
Timothy on it right now. And he's saying these issues will come into your church. They may not be there right now. They may be. I don't know. But he's saying they will come. They will show up. And they have been in my life. Not that I'm perfect by any means. Not even close. But I, I have had. They've been in here. Reality. They've been in here. How does Paul know this is coming? I mean, it's happened many, 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 many times before. In fact, centuries before, it's recorded in the Word. So keep your finger where you are and flip back to First Kings. It will not be on the screen, so you'll have to go there. And I'm not studying it. We're just going to read this little account. First Kings chapter 22. Um, there are two kings. Israel is divided as a nation. And you have a king in the south, Jehoshaphat, who's king of Judah, and a king in the north, Ahab, who's king of Israel. Uh, these two have been enemies, but at the present moment in time that we're looking at, they're united uh, for the most part. And... The king of the north, Ahab, decides we should go to war with Syria, which is north of Israel, same Syria, and regain some territory that we lost from them. And so he calls on the king of the south, Jehoshaphat, to come join him, and let's see if we can do this together. And so verse 5, we'll pick it up there. Uh, it says, Jehoshaphat said to Ahab, the king of Israel, inquire first for the word of the Lord. Why don't we ask God's word what it has to say about whether we should do this or not? Now, they didn't have a Bible because this was still being constructed. These were the prophets that we have in our hands. This is when they were saying what we're reading. So the king of Israel gathered prophets together, about 400. So he gets 400 of them and he says, shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? So, we go, so that's a city that was taken by Syria. Shall we go regain it? And they said, go up. Go get it, man. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Oh, that's what he wants to hear, right? Yes, that's what I want to hear. And Jehoshaphat, the king of the south, says, They're not here another prophet of the Lord, who, prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire. So what does that tell you? King in the south is like, come on, man. You, you know these dudes are just saying what you want to hear. Like, you, you, you know that's the case. Is there not? Can we just make sure with somebody from... so? Verse 8, the king of Israel says to him, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but I hate him. Why? Because he never prophesies good concerning me, but only evil. I hate the guy because he only tells me negative things. He only talks about bad things for me. Only says negative stuff. Listen, the word convicts people. I'm telling you, it convicts me. I'm the pastor and I'm reading it to you, but it convicts me. It convicts people. And that's what guides us away from sin. And it should be that conviction that's why we go to the word. Like we should go in there looking for that conviction because that's what guides us away from sin. That's what helps us know how to grow closer to the Lord and away from our own selfish desires so we can avoid the trap of sin. But instead... We make the word evil and our behavior preferable. 
which is exactly what this king has done. Verse 8, And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There's yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, I hate him. He only says evil concerning me. Jehoshaphat said, Don't, don't say that. That's what let not the king say. So don't, don't say that. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring him here. Bring the guy in. Verse 10, The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, they're sitting on their thrones. All these other prophets are still there. And, and one of them here in verse 11 is making like horns and doing all the, yeah, illustrating how you're going to win. You're going to stab them in the heart. You know, I mean, they're just kissing tail so bad in this moment waiting on uh, this other prophet to show up. Verse 13, uh, the messenger who goes to get Micaiah says to him, look, the words of the prophets are with one accord and are favorable to the king. All 400 of these guys are on the same page, and they're all saying what's good for the king. So let your word be like their word and speak favorably. Just get on board, man. But Micaiah says, the Lord lives what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Man, those are awesome words. The Bible says it, I say it. If it doesn't, I'm not saying it. But literally, if you were to put that in modern day words. And when he had come to the king, the king said, Micaiah, shall we go up to Ramah Gilead to battle? Or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Now, you're just reading. But you got to you got to remember somebody's speaking, so you got to imagine what the context is. How do you think he said that statement? Super sarcastic. Clearly, did not mean it. He's being a smart mouth. And the king said, "How many times have I got to make you swear to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord, as if he wanted to hear it?" So Micaiah says, "I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as a sheep that has no shepherd." And the Lord said, they have no master. Let them return to their own homes, which means what? You're going to die. You go up there, you're going to die, and they're going to come back defeated. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you? He wouldn't prophesy good concerning me, but only evil. Now, you can continue to read the story. There's some crazy stuff in there, but the king goes and he dies. Um, but here's a great example of somebody want, in leadership even, wanting to hear what he wants to hear. Not, not wanting to hear the truth. And, and when he does hear the truth, he deems it to be evil because he doesn't like it. And that's a real issue today, especially in churches. A big one. As I mentioned before, I've been attacked several times because I won't go to current things. Some of you know. But it didn't start in this church. It's just, it's not going to be something I do. I'm going to push this. I, I, let me be honest with you for a minute. Let me just be very real with you for a minute. The idea that America is going to get back to the good old days is a foolish statement. What good old days are you talking about? I mean, I go all the way back to the beginning, but I ain't going to do that. You can go back to the 1900s. In the 1900s, the dawning of the 1900s, the world was at war. There was, there was a world war. In the 20s, there was a Great Depression, and despite prohibition, there was organized crime born. You know, in the 30s and the 40s, we're at war again. There's economic hardship off the charts. World war. In the 50s, there's discrimination against sex. There's discrimination against race. There's segregation, the birth of rock and roll, which I don't hate, but it is what it is, and led to the generations of teenage rebellion. All that was birthed in the 50s. 
this golden era, right? In the 60s, Cuban Missile Crisis, Sexual Revolution, uh, the birth of the drug world, really. There were drugs before, but it exploded into the scene in the 60s. In the 70s, you had the gas crisis. You had Vietnam. You had drugs, sex, all that intensifying. In the 80s, it's cocaine, and now it's crack. We can't go farther than cocaine. Now it's crack. You got the Cold War with Russia. You got nuclear weapons talks all the time. You got gas crisis. You got gay rights. You have AIDS exploding onto the scene. In the 90s, there's a Gulf War. Heroin makes a huge comeback and becomes an epidemic. LSD is and, and hallucinogenics are back off the charts. I know I made a fortune in it, shamefully. Anger among the... Young generation has gone off the charts. Suddenly it's gone from peace, love, and happiness to I hate the world. Violence and riots are commonplace throughout the 90s. To go to the 2000s, you got 9-11. You got wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, which was the longest war in American history. You have new drugs now. Molly, you got fentanyl, all these others that are starting to pop out. You have gender neutrality. You have intolerance of intolerant. I mean, I can just keep going. What good old days is it that you think we need to get back to? Were there good things that happened? In the, absolutely. Were there amazing things that happened? Absolutely. But I'm not interested in going back to anything because it was some kind of superior time period. When Paul said 2,000 years ago, no one is righteous, no, not one. Was it true? Did people need to hear it? He was quoting Psalm 53, which was written 1,000 years before Paul. Did they need to hear it then? Yes. Was it true then? Yes. Is it true today? Yes. Do people need to hear it? Yes. The word never changes. It is a solid foundation. It doesn't change. It needs to be heard. Back in Timothy 4, let's finish this up. But Paul said when people don't get what they want, they're going to turn away. They're going to wander into myths. Notice that progression. They hear the truth, but they turn another direction. The result is they begin to wander aimless, lost. That's what those words, the words mean. Wander aimlessly, lost, until they find something they can land on. But what they land on is a myth. It's a lie. It's a falsehood. It's entertainment. You know, it's, it's satisfaction. It's an itch getting scratched. Well, some say the Bible's a myth. I've heard that plenty of times. Uh, I, and I can stand here and argue that all day, but I'm not going to. But this book, 66 books, 40, it's a library, 66 books, 40 different authors written on three continents. Just Just put that in your brain now. Three continents, three different languages. Across 1,600 years. That is not possible for them all to align and talk the same story. It's not possible. But I'm holding it in my hand. They all describe seeing, knowing, and encountering the same God. All of them. It's the highest selling book of all time. How many have sold? Nobody knows. It's out of count. Has been for a long time. It's in twenty more than 2,200 different languages. The next closest one is Pilgrim's Progress, and it's in like 200 languages. The gap between that is astounding. 
2,200 languages. You think people don't? You think there's not something special about this book? This is no myth. And if you want more proof than that, you can go read, for instance, Daniel, my favorite one, where Daniel talks about Babylon ruling the world and then Babylon being conquered by Persia, who would rule the world, and then Persia being conquered by Greece, who would rule the world, and then Greece being conquered by Rome, who would rule the world, and then Rome falling apart one day, and then nobody ruling the world until Christ comes back. Now, that's fine from our point of view, but Daniel wrote all of that. Hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened. How do you know? Daniel talks about Alexander the Great. Not by name, but he describes him so perfectly that it's very clearly him, the king of Greece. How did he know? You can read these things, man. How did he know? There's over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Bible. 300 prophecies about the Messiah that Jesus fulfilled. Let me share this with you really quick. A well-known professor said, imagine covering the entire state of Texas with silver dollars to a level two feet deep. The total number of silver dollars needed need to cover the whole state would be 10 to the 17th power. Now, choose one of those silver dollars, mark it, and drop it from an airplane. Thoroughly stir all the silver dollars all over the entire state. When this has been done, blindfold a man and tell him he can travel wherever he wishes to in the state. Tell him that somewhere along the way he must stop, reach down into the two feet of silver dollars and try to pull out the one that's specific silver dollar that's been marked. The chance of his finding that one silver dollar in the state of Texas is the same chance the prophets had of eight of their prophecies being fulfilled in only one man. In another calculation, this same professor determined that the probability of 48 prophecies being fulfilled in one man would be the number 10 to the 157th power. Said that is 157 zeros on that number. And yet Jesus fulfilled 300. Some say, well, many translations, we've lost the truth. Yet you fail to understand how the Bible gets translated. It's not like there's one book out there that everybody just has been copying over and copying over and copying over and copying over and then and all the copies deteriorate over. That's not what happens. We have the original Greek, the original Hebrew. The translations say, well, we don't use those words today. We use smoother words. We use these words. We use those words. So they go back to the original and they write a translation. Are some of them more accurate than others? Sure. But we haven't lost anything. If you read a Spanish translation back there, that is a translation. It's not English. It's not the King KJV. It's the Spanish translation. We didn't lose anything. This book is a miracle. And here he says, these people's ears itch to hear something else. Lastly, verse 5, let's finish it really quick. I'm, I'm, I know I've been going a minute, but I'm done here. Verse 5, as, you, as for you, always be sober-minded, be focused. Endure suffering, which means it's going to come, so endure it. 
Do the work of an evangelist. Be it, hey, share the gospel, man. Do Get in the word and share it and fulfill what you've been called to do. Fulfill your ministry. What's the benefit? So all, all that I just said, what's the benefit of standing on the word? What's the benefit of preaching the word when everybody else wants you to talk about the hot topics? What's the benefit? Verse 6, just this whole thing right here. I'm going to read it. Just these two verses, three verses. For I am already, Paul says, being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. What does that mean? It's going to die. And he knows it. He's reached the point. He says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. By, by the way, note it didn't say I won the race. Jesus won the race. He just said, I finished. I've kept. It's like keeping the law. Same kind of idea. I've lived out. I have lived out the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Paul didn't just say a crown. He said a crown of righteousness. This is not like a piece of gold on your head or a wreath, even though it's being described that way. He's talking about more like a halo kind of idea, like righteousness is on me now. I didn't earn that crown. He did. And he placed it on my head. I have always only had one dream, I guess, goal. I I don't care about whether there's streets of gold don't I mean this. If you know me, you know it's true. I don't care if there's streets of gold. I don't care if there's mansions. I don't care about none of that. All I want is to hear Jesus say, welcome home, son. You did good. That's it. That, that, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. That is really all. And I'm not saying that in an arrogant way. And, and I'm not saying it like I need to earn his approval. I know I already have it. I just want to make him proud. You know, I just want to make him proud. And that's why in this church, it's going to be his word all the time. And that's that. Y'all stand up with me and and we're going to pray. And if you'll close your eyes for a few minutes and, and let me um, just pray for you and pray for uh, the word. And I know I know it was a lot today. Uh, Like I said, I get passionate about this, so. But take a minute and let his word sink in. Listen, if you don't know the gospel, here's the truth. Here's what this book is about. We all have sinned and fallen short, and we all know it. We all know it. The moment that you use the phrase, nobody's perfect, you've just made that statement that we've all sinned and fallen short it's the same thing nobody's perfect if you want to go to a perfect place to be with a perfect god and nobody's perfect then there's a problem and that's what the cross is about that's what jesus is about that god would come here a perfect god among imperfect people that he loves and that he would take the sin of these imperfect people myself included carry it to a cross and allow himself to die in a horrific way because he loves us that much. And that dying is no win. You know, anybody can die. But it's the grave that's inescapable. And that's what he beat. He conquered the grave. That's the whole point. That's the joy that we have. That's the opportunity that we have. By faith, by trusting in him, 
to have his righteousness and to be free of that sin and to know that the grave cannot keep you because it couldn't keep him. And we belong to him. Lord, thank you for your word. Again, just thank you that we have it. It's not my word. It's your word. It'll always be your word. Thank you. Thank you that you gave it to us, not just to me, to all of us. That It's your word in the hands of your people. Anybody can have it. Lord, help us be faithful with it. Love you, Lord. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.